Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, this is the Grow Good Companies podcast, where we're talking about the strategies and the people behind growing good companies. And we are in the middle of our multifamily real estate series. So we're talking to different leaders in the industry to talk about exactly that, the multifamily industry, what's behind the growth and uh, of that industry and the companies that make it up. And uh, today, I'm, uh, you know, I have the honor of talking to Jerome Myers. He's our guest. And uh, he's got quite the background. He's the founder and head coach for Myers Methods and the founder of Myers Development Group. Um, he's also been featured on Black Enterprise, Business Insider, and numerous other podcasts. And today, he helps other Apex performers find their calling and live every day with purpose, which sounds like quite the undertaking. So, Jerome, I appreciate you giving us some time here. Thanks for being here. Chris, excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. So, um, you know, I think where I'd like to start is really, you know, your story. You know, I, I've read, you know, what you have uh, on what you sent over to me too. And it seems like quite the story. So I didn't want to take the thunder from you on that. I think you should just tell it and kind of give us your background and, uh, you know, and let's start with that. Let's hear about you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where to start. One time I went on a podcast, a guy said you were born and then what? And I was like, okay, well, here we go. But I think I, w- I won't belabor all of that for your listeners. What I will tell them is I'm a corporate America dropout. I had the fortune of building a pretty large division for a fortune 550. And I was employee number two in that division. And that was January 13th. By the end of September, we'd done... We grew from two to about 175 employees. By the end of the year, we'd done about $20 million in revenue, $6 million in profit. And you would think that the band would be playing and everybody would be cheering. But instead, I got a phone call on December 24th at 4.55, and it went something like this. Jerome, I know we've been going back and forth about this and the go-forward strategy, but uh, we're going to lay about half the folks off. And you've got a choice. You can pick who stays and who goes, or we can have somebody do it for you. And then there's a pause. And it keeps pausing. And I said, well, I really don't think we should do that. And it's like, Jerome, we're not going to argue with about this. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, and that's what we're going to do. And there was another look at the clock, and then there was another pause. And then there was, okay, well, it's five o'clock. On Christmas Eve, I'm going to go spend the holidays with my family. I'll talk to you in the new year because I'm taking the rest of the year off. And so what do I get to do between Christmas and New Year's? I get to pick who has a job in the new year. And that was the first time that I was axe man. And I said, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I don't ever want to do this again. And so I'll do this once, but I'm never going to have to do this again. And you know, fast forward to Thanksgiving of next year, I'm having a very similar conversation. And I decided I was going to exit corporate America at that point. And so the, the next natural question is, well, what are you going to do? And yeah. You're like, I'm out. Started, this sucks. Yeah. What now? I, uh, I thought back to some conversations that I had in college. And there was a particular one I had with my friend Duran. We were sitting on the stoop and we started doing a little bit of math. I was paying three ninety five. I had two roommates doing the same thing. Duran was downstairs in his apartment. Same situation. We multiplied it out across the complex, and the guy was making seven hundred grand a year. We never saw him. We never talked to him. I thought, man, 
if I could just get $70,000 a year and not have to see or talk to people, it'd be pretty phenomenal lifestyle. So I went and grabbed that dream and I pulled it off the shelf. I didn't pursue it immediately because I'm the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. So I couldn't go do that, right? I, I didn't know anybody that was doing it. So how could I go do it? And this was before podcasts were popular and there wasn't a whole lot of stuff on YouTube about the topic. So I went and got a job and started pursuing the American dream. And so I hopped on YouTube and went through the university, started listening to some of the popular podcasts at the time. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I just need to go to the bank after I find a deal. So I hopped on LoopNet, got a deal, took it to the bank, said, hey, don't you want to give me a million dollars to buy this property? He's like, (laughs) no. What do you mean? No. It's like, well, what have you done? I said, well, I built a $20 million division for a Fortune 550. Isn't that oppressive? He said, no. I said, well, I got an MBA. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, for licensed engineer? Yeah. No. Uh, do we have any assets that we could buy from you and leverage? It's uh, about all they want, right, at the bank? Credit and net worth and liquidity. Those are the things. And so, you know, we, we sat, we talked, we thought and realized that that wasn't going to happen. And I thought it was just one bank. Like this guy, he just doesn't like me. This girl, she doesn't like me. I need to go to somewhere else. And all 10 places I went, they all told me the same thing. So I was like, oh, so this really is a thing and started fixing and flipping. And, you know, the lesson that I learned by hitting my head against the wall was, you need to get somebody who has experience to do this. Uh, and you may be underestimating how hard this actually is. You might be a little overconfident. And so I started fixing and flipping and I'm sitting on the stoop of a 1920s, $90,000 rehab that I'm doing. And the guy pulls up and he says, uh, Hey man, let me check out your finishes. And so he walks in, he looks, it's like, man, you took that wall out and the granite with the sink in the Island. And that's amazing. And go upstairs, look at the bathroom. Towel's amazing. It's like, man, this, this is really nice. I'm going to have to change some of my selections. He's like, well, thanks for having me. And he's getting ready to walk out. And he stops in the threshold and he says, hey, you know anything about that building behind the Chimbo Mart? The Chimbo Mart? The 23-unit apartment building? He's like, yeah. Was, yeah, of course I do. He said, well, I'm getting ready to make an offer on that thing. He's like, you are? Wait, so you've got experience, don't you? Because they told me that I couldn't buy it without experience. He's like, yeah, we own a few things. I was like, well, I want to be in on that deal. Don't leave me out. Yeah. Said, well, what are you going to bring to the table? Uh, don't worry about that. Like, we don't need to figure that out. Just don't leave me out. Like, I, I tried to buy that four or five months ago. I, I, I want to be in the deal. What are you going to bring to the table? We'll figure that piece out. Just don't leave me out. And so he walks off a little frustrated and I'm sitting here thinking the phone's going to ring. He's going to call me, let me know that we're going to do it. Friday comes nothing. Next Friday comes nothing. And then Tuesday or Wednesday, the next week, a guy I used to lend money to when I was in corporate calls. And he's like, Hey, I just got asked to be a general contractor on that project. You were talking about four or five months ago. I told them that I wouldn't do it unless you were involved. And so I was able to get a seat at the table. I was fortunate enough to be asset manager on that deal. And we leveraged relationships out of that to 
start writing our own contracts and doing our own deals where we aren't just, you know, a partner and asset manager, but we're actually leading the effort. And so we've been doing that and in Virginia and North Carolina and really just trying to make an impact by teaching other people our process, because I think a lot of folks are trying to get this thing figured out. And then I think we've done fairly well considering all the things that we learned and going through the school of hard knocks. How long have you, uh, how long have you been doing it now since that first that first deal that you were involved in? So we closed the first deal in November of 2017. Nice. Nice. You made it all the way. You started out great. You made it through uh, COVID. <laughs> you know, now we're yeah. now we're here and, and uh, you've got it going, man. It's fantastic. Um, and you said uh, South Carolina area, right? Virginia area. Is that what you said? Virginia and North Carolina. Yeah. Virginia and North Carolina. Great, great. That's awesome. Um, you know, what kind of projects are you involved with? Like now, is there a certain, you know, niche that you try to like, get get involved with? Are you doing a little bit of everything? Is it, is it, uh, you know, is there a certain size? Like what's the kind of stuff that uh, you're dealing in at this time? Yeah, I think we're one of the few people that focus on workforce housing. That's between 20 and a hundred units. I think most people in the country want to be syndicators and they want to go, take down Moby Dick. And I encourage them to all go chase that because it leaves all of the low hanging fruit for us. And that for me is super exciting. And I understand why people want to do the bigger deals, but there's a lot of opportunity in a smaller space. And so we focus on deals between 20 and hundred units. And we do have something going on that's a little outside the normal, which is a new development deal that is 120 doors that Wow. Start later this year. Right on, right on. And are you, um, you know, there's different people do this differently as I'm learning. I'm, I'm talking to folks and there's the, the people that, you know, want to kind of just improve the property and then, you know, get it out of their hands as quickly as possible. Um, and then there's folks that want to kind of sustain over the long term, maybe own the property for several years and have it be cash flowing. Which bucket do you fall in? You know, are you, you know, building up, renovating, increasing value and selling on the back end? Or are you holding on to those properties? Yeah, we, we will do both. The goal when we buy a deal is to be able to refinance and to get the original equity out. And if we can do that, then our partners are usually happy just hanging out and holding on to the deal because our cash on cash goes to infinity. But, you know, if we've got a deal and we aren't able to refi and get all our cash out, then it's likely we'll exit because something didn't happen right with the business plan. Right on. Right on. You know, in your experience now, you've been doing this for a few years, obviously successful and, and doing great work. What's like, what are the commonalities and what makes a good project? You know, like when you look at this and you look back and I'm sure you've had good ones and, and bad ones, um, as any business does. What are the hallmarks of the good stuff? Can you point anything out and say, man, this is this is like what I find to make up good projects? The ability to grow rents over $100 from where they are at purchase. And that delta doesn't mean that you're maxing out market rent. It just means that you can do that pretty comfortably. I think you want a property where the residents are in month-to-month leases when you take over so that you have maximum flexibility on whether or not people stay or go. Uh, the stuff that we target 
usually isn't performing optimally. And that means that the landlord hasn't trained their residents well. And so for the folks who are going to create headaches or, and for us, it's usually traffic that we don't want coming to the property. Uh, We like to be able to transition them out and renovate those units. And, you know, the other thing is we don't want something that's just crazy dilapidated. Some people want to do super heavy lifts and we've just found that the amount of effort that it takes to do those isn't worth the squeeze you end up working really hard and not actually getting all the value that you thought you were going to get. And, you know, we had one project where we ended up having to end all the cash flow, empty everybody out just because the lift became so heavy. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that, uh, you know, cause it's, it's a purely kind of financial thing and it takes foresight to think ahead on what value you're really going to get out of the deal later on and understanding what you're going to need to put into it to get it to that point. And then just looking at the numbers being like, all right, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. And, and uh, remaining disciplined to do that. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, you know, I've had to have, I've had it happen and it probably will happen in the future where, you know, I get involved, I get emotional on on something. I I really like a product or a company and I want to help them and, and, uh, you know, we do marketing. So it's like, I want to help grow that company. And, uh, and it's just, you know, on the books, it's not a super great deal. And, uh, you know, it's like, man, I really want to help them, but you know, it's not, you know, the, it's not the right deal for the company. And I imagine, I, I guess I'm curious if that's the same and you have to make that decision on your end too, and seeing a property that maybe you really could do great work for, you could renovate it. You could turn this into a really nice spot, totally upgrade it, you know, and, and help people have a really nice place to live. But you kind of have to look at the numbers and say, it's just not for us. Do you run into that? And, and do you feel that way? Or, or am I off base there? No, I think it's, you're running a business, right? And so the numbers have to make sense. I think for us, profits aren't first, but they are important. And so if you take on a deal where you can't make money, highly likely that your business partners are not going to do another deal with you. And whether they're actually active partners or passive investors, they're not going to be interested in putting their money into a place where they don't make money. I mean, that's the expectation when you make an investment. So you've got to be diligent in your due diligence so that you put yourself in a position to be successful. And I think that's the biggest struggle I have with the market today is people are buying stuff with no cushion. If you've operated a deal, you know something's going to go wrong. You don't know what it is more often than not. And so when yeah. that thing goes wrong and you've got to fix it, and there's really only two ways to fix most of these things. It's writing a check or spending more time on it. And both of those yeah. things are really valuable resources. And some of them are unrecoverable from like if there's something that happens and it's catastrophic on your property and you don't have any cushion in there for that adjustment, there's going to be some pretty disappointed people. And you as the dealie, I guess you could reach in your personal assets and pay people out what they thought they were going to get and maybe save your reputation as being a good guy. But depending on the deal size, most people can't do that kind of stuff. And it is a, it is a relationship business too, you know, and a lot of businesses are the same way is that I think what the point you made about, you know, uh, doing right by your partners, right. And, and setting yourself up so that ever setting you and your partners up for success, because 
that is your reputation. And although, yeah, you could pay them out and, and make and tie it over right now, the next time you bring a deal to the table, it's, you know, there's, it's going to be met with like, okay, it's a little more skepticism now. And if you're making deals, the last thing you want is more skepticism in, in what you're trying to do and, and move forward with. There's a healthy amount, of course, but uh, you don't want to have an added to it. And I'm curious your opinion on relationships and, and, and the different kind of relationships that you leverage because it takes a ship to do any of this stuff. It takes property managers, it takes contractors, it takes money, it takes people to deal with the money and, and all that type of stuff. So how important are relationships to you and, and what kind of relationships are you focused on uh, right now? I'm focused on mutually beneficial relationships. That's <laughs> kind of step one, right? I think a lot of folks end up in toxic situations because the relationships don't have mutual benefit. And I, when I say mutual benefit, that doesn't mean transactional. Like I think you should really actually care about the people that you do business with and want the best for them and looking for opportunities to create value for them. And they should be doing the same thing for you. And I'll, as an example, I have a partner in the deal and there'll be times when I say, hey, I'm not going to take fee. And you're like, you have to take fee. Right? If you don't take fee, then you're going to do something else that's going to make money for you and you're not going to pay attention to this. And so it's kind of self-serving, right? It's, well, I want to make sure that you pay attention to this. And oh, by the way, you know, I want you to make money too, right? That makes a ton of sense. I think that's mutual benefit. The, the people who come to the deal and they don't want the operator to make money, it's a jam, right? Because now they're going to squeeze everything out of you. They want you to work for free and they're just going to run off with the money to the next thing. And you're going to see who else they can exploit and take advantage of. And early on, that may be all that you can get to, right? Because you don't have the experience and you're just hoping somebody will take a bet on you. But as you mature in your relationship, I think you'll find that there are people out there who that's not their way of operating from a kind of a tactical standpoint, the goal for me is to know every operator in the country. Uh, my goal is to be the best operator in the country. And I think the way that I achieve that is by learning from the mistakes of everybody else so that I don't have to make the same ones they do. And that's part of the reason why we started our podcast, Multifamily Missteps. Has, has uh, you know, the podcast or helped you build these relationships that you're looking for? Or are there other things that, that you do to find the right people to be working with and, and build these relationships because obviously it's really important. And I love what you said about mutually beneficial relationships, but finding that stuff is challenging. You know um, it's like, there's no like dating app for mutually beneficial relationships uh, for, for doing business. Although maybe LinkedIn, I don't know, uh, probably not as good, but what do you think about that? You know, what are the ways that you find these relationships and uh, yeah. Tell me if you have any insight on that. Yeah. So I think the podcast has been able to get me sit downs with people who normally wouldn't take my call without question. And after we've had that conversation, they're willing to take my call, which is super exciting. Yeah. Whether it's me just calling or sending a message or whatever, being able to make those connections. So that opened the door and the mutual benefit is, well, I'm getting their message out and helping them help other people. You know, I was a person who consumed 40 hours of content a week when I was getting into the space, trying to learn everything I could so that I wouldn't fail. 
the thing that I saw was the problem in the space was everybody came on podcasts and talked about all the great things they did. And I wasn't actually learning from their failures. I was just hearing their highlight reel. And it got really, really irritating after I got into a deal because I was messing up. Like this wasn't going like I thought it was going to go to. How come I didn't know about this? Yeah. It's kind of like being a parent. You get the baby and you're like, well, where does the diaper go? Like, I mean, somebody's got to tell you how to swaddle. Somebody's got to tell you how to put diaper cream on. Like there's all this stuff that nobody yeah. actually wants to talk about. It's the uncomfortable truths. So, you know, absolutely. And then for me, from a networking standpoint, I, between the podcast and LinkedIn, I think it's just been the game changer for me. We We doubled down on LinkedIn because... We knew folks were sitting in front of the computer for COVID and they were at home. And so we wanted to expand our reach and get in front of more folks and see if we could connect with people who had similar values and thought about the world the same way that we did. Because that is probably way more important than anything else when you go into the partnership. And I think people try to force it. They, yeah, there's no other way to say it other than they want to force a relationship or a partnership. And in that forcing of the partnership, they end up in a place they don't want to be and pretty disappointed. Partnerships are real tough. Uh, you know, you, there's a lot of great benefits to the partnership and that's why people go into them. I, I have a business partner as well. And uh, the reason why it works though, is um, of course there's a financial component, right? You both have to be, you know, mutually beneficial from a financial component and making each other money and, and that type of stuff. But you also have to have kind of like this similar vibe. You have to have the same kind of goals. You have to be headed in the right direction. You have to be thinking, you know, some of the same ways, hold some of the same values. And uh, that's how it works, at least how I've seen success with it. Um, and the same is true with any of our clients that are like our really, really good clients and the people we do business with long-term. It's when the, the things like the intangibles link up and it's not every single one of them, but it's like, all right, are we, you know, headed in the same direction? Can we communicate in a way that's effective? Are you down for the way that I operate? Or am I down with the way that you are operating? And uh, if you can link up on a few of those things, then I think that's what makes the, the relationship and the partnership really work. And uh, I think, you know, would you agree with that? Is that what you've seen as well? Absolutely. It, it, I think you rig success when you go through that stuff up front. And I think you can also rig failure and create a ton of friction in your life if you don't figure that out. And the one that was probably the most painful for me is not communicating the same way. Some folks just don't want to talk. They don't want to read email. They don't want to text. They don't want to do any of that. <laughs> and if you're dealing with something that's complicated and you're trying to make sure everybody's on the same page, you probably shouldn't have partnered with a person like that unless they're just putting their money in and walking away. Hmm. But if they're trying, if they're an operator and you're operating this thing together, you need to be able to figure out how you communicate well. Then, you know, if you're a texter and the person wants to pick up the phone, that's not going to work very well for you. So just working through the mode that you're going to communicate, I think, is extremely important. You mentioned a few minutes ago that one of the things you wished you would have seen more of when you were digesting content was you know, the, the failures, right? The potholes to avoid or the pitfalls to avoid uh, as you're going through this process of, you know, growing a business or getting involved in deals. Um, 
you know, I'm going to put you on the spot here, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's about a million things that could be talked about, but what are some of those, you know, failures that you should give a call out for and say, Hey, watch out for this thing. Cause you know, I've had experience, you know, stepping in that, in that uh, pile of dookie. So is there anything that comes to your mind that, you know, uh, you would recommend to, to someone growing their business or getting started or, uh, or maybe they are started and they're trying to grow. What would you, what would you put in that bucket? And if I could roll out the list of things that go down, right? I think the one that's probably most important is doing everything but operating. It's really easy once you start to get in the business to feel like you got to figure out, especially in a real estate business, what's the next meetup? What's the next conference? What do I post on social media? Which podcast do I listen to? Which podcast do I host? Like all of this litany of getting the message out so that people can find you and get to know you goes crazy, right? You, you can get totally lost in that and lose sight of your property crumbling to pieces right in front of you. And you'll lose everything. And it's crazy because I used to get so irritated when I was in corporate and I would say, all right, so what do I have to do to get the promotion? And the guy would always say, didn't matter who my manager was, they always said the same thing. You got to do a great job with the job you have right now. That's going to be the thing that gets you the promotion. And for everybody who's looking for the next deal and the deal that they have is performing mediocrely or not performing at all, I can tell you that if you don't make that deal work, your reputation will catch up with you sooner than you think. And you will have a mess on your hand and you will not be able to go much further. I think you had a really, really valuable point there. And as one resonates with me, uh, you know, I was always taught growing up, like do, do a good job for the sake of doing a good job. You know, like you're supposed to do good work and it's part of having work ethic. And, you know, that has led to success for me. And I see other people that truly have success and it's because they do good work. They care about the things they do. They care about their partners. They care about their staff and they deliver on expectations or exceed those expectations. And the reason is because they're doing a good job, you know, that they care about the the end result of that service or product or or whatever it is. And I think it starts with that. It's like do good work and then, and then build on it. I think you, again, your point you made about, you know, getting lost in the, the promotion and the connection and the networking, like you can do all that stuff, but if you don't have a base of something that's good and working and profitable and, and sound, then you're kind of a faker, you know, you're kind of all talk and, and no walk and uh, people will eventually see through that. And uh, I think it's great advice is, hey, focus on doing good work, then step into the other stuff. And, and I, I think to add to that, that other stuff will come naturally if you do a, you know, a really, really good job. So great advice, man. Uh, you got one for sure. Um, so yeah, tell me about, uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we call it big hat, little cattle. <laughs> when people are just kind of put the facade out there, all the smoke and mirrors, and there's a whole lot of posturing. And I mean, it's great marketing. I know people aren't being dishonest, but it just people are throwing numbers in order to impress folks. And then when you actually dig into them and their knowledge, you find out pretty quickly that they don't know very much. And that is uh, that's frustrating. It is. I live in a day and age where you can be an influencer and not know anything. <laughs> so uh, just because you have an Instagram account. 
Uh, well, tell me about, um, you know, what, what you're doing. You know, it, I think you've got a couple of interesting things going on. You have the development group, which I think we spent a lot of time talking about, but you're also doing like coaching as well. So I'm curious as to what you're doing professionally and, and give us some insight on that. And uh, for those listening uh, of this too, I'm sure they're curious about, you know, what you're into and, uh, you know, uh, fill us in, take it away. Yeah. I mean, for us, coaching is the passion. Um, development of people and places is kind of how I brand myself. And I am going to challenge the listeners since they've got to this point of the podcast, right? If, if you got here, then the fact of the matter is you're trying to go to the next level. And I'm here to tell you that your dreams should be real. And we don't hear that very often as adults, but it's absolutely true. And if you're willing to pay the price of admission, then you can walk into whatever dream you, you want to have. But the important piece is you have to be willing to pay the price so that you can actually get there instead of uh, kind of trying to figure out how to sneak your way in. And so for us, our, our coaching is based on the model for centered life or the red pill. And if you see me on LinkedIn or pretty much anywhere else, you'll see that I'm always wearing the same shirt. It's not actually the same shirt, but it's the same concept, right? And you always clean shirts, people. It's not the same. Yeah, I've got more than one, I promise. And so the the idea here is that you have to take the red pill. And the change starts within and then radiates out. So we start with self-image. Then we move to relationships. From relationships, we go to work. Work, we go up to health, health to prosperity, prosperity to significance. And so going back to self-image, right? With self-image, most people don't keep promises to themselves. And so they have a hard time holding other people accountable because, well, they aren't accountable. And so we help people build up that credibility, that self-credibility. And we think that leads to extreme self-confidence. And when you get to that place, it becomes really attractive. You start to draw people to you. And so then when you are drawing people to you or attracting them to you, you are more willing to say, hey, this relationship isn't mutually beneficial. I don't want to participate anymore. So we either need to make this mutually beneficial or we need to end our relationship. And when you're able to do that, because you have abundance mentality, you believe more folks are going to show up and that you won't be totally alone on the island if you make that, draw that line in the sand, the world changes for you. And that's why we do work next, because now that you're attracting people to you, folks want to be around you and you're willing to call them on the stuff that doesn't actually make sense, it automatically positions you as a leader. And with that leadership opportunity, you usually make more money and you get to set the direction, which allows you to live out more of your morals and values. And I think that's where people have the biggest disconnect when they go to work is they're doing something that isn't absolutely in alignment with the morals and values. And so those bottom three, self-image, relationship and work, are the source of all stress. (laughs) And I've been saying this for a while, but nobody's argued with me yet. And so I'm waiting for that. And so once you figure out the stress, then you can go up to health because what happens when you don't deal with the stress is you medicate in some way, shape or form, you numb in some way, shape or form. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It can be sugar. It can be whatever, right? All of the things that we do in order to 
get our bottle, our pacifier to get the dopamine hit to soothe us. And so we want to fix the stressors and then work on your health. We do health before wealth because if you get wealth before your health, you'll spend all your wealth to get your health. And we want you healthy before you get wealthy so that that overflow from your wealth can be using your significance. You know, whether it's giving money to places, donating your talent to places, um, or spending your time in a way that you wouldn't be able to if you were trying to figure out what you were going to do to get the next dollar. Um, We believe that the stewardess on the airplane is right. You got to put your own mask on first. And so we want you to be in overflow and abundance before you start putting out and giving in a crazy way. And so, and the significance is what everybody's looking for. Everybody wants to be significant in some way. They worry about being judged and some of the other stuff, but that that's the true self-actualization. Significance is the true success. Do you think people start with significance and that's where the mishaps happen? Is it because you, you want significance, right? And I, I totally agree with that. But if you start there, then it's kind of like you're skipping all the steps that get you there uh, initially and, and you're either not going to achieve it or it'll be short-lived or there'll be some kind of problem with it. Do you, do you, do you think that that's the case? I don't know if they actually start there because if I'm honest with you, Chris, I think most folks are selfish, right? And so significance is, it comes from a giving heart. I, I think most people are trying to figure out how they're going to survive. I don't think most people feel like they are an abundant place. And I call most of them vampires. Like when you have one-way relationships and most apex performers, that's the life that they live in. Everybody's coming to them to get the thing, solve the problem and make the investment, et cetera, et cetera. And so you have to separate yourself from that because your bucket is always going to be empty if there's continuous withdrawals with no deposits. So no, I I don't actually, I think they want the fame. I think they want the fortune, but all of that's ego. And I think people are trying to feed their ego instead of really focusing on imputing value to other people. And that's what we're taught, man. I mean, anything you read in the media, anything you consume in the media is that, especially if you're a guy, you got to do these things so that other people see you this way, so that you can get the girl, so that you can get the job and the money and all the stuff, right? And women are treated probably even worse because they're told they're inadequate in every way. They're not pretty enough. They're not skinny enough. They're not, most of it's physical, but I mean, you start adding all that stuff up and it does all kinds of things to your mental. Really does. Really does. Super insightful stuff. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on how, like, you, know, you do both of these things. You you coach in this way, and uh, you also are involved in this development group and doing multifamily investing and that type of stuff. How Where's the bridge between the two? Like, how are the two connected for you? I love that you asked this question. So few people ever ask me that. In fact, every time a host asks me if there's any question they should have asked me, I'm going to start saying this now. All right. And so the answer to the question is, thanks for that, Chris. You just connected a dot for me, man. The the answer to the question is everybody wants to buy a building. Everybody wants to be wealthy and rich. Everybody wants mailbox money. But if you try to add a multi-million dollar property on top of a shaky foundation, it's going to fall apart. It's going to sink into the ground. 
And so most people, including myself, aren't ready to do that. So you need to do the self-work first, right? Level five is prosperity. That's where investments come. But if your self-image isn't right, you're going to attract the wrong people to you. So your relationships are going to suck. You're going to be in a relationship that just creates all kinds of stress. And so you're going to start failing at work because your partnerships outside aren't doing well and you're distracted trying to do multiple things. Then you're going to start gorging on stuff because, well, you're going to give up your health to numb the stress because that problem and pain is acute. And so now your health is down the drain and, you know, this prosperity that you were creating, well, now it turned into a liability. And so I want people to build a solid foundation before they go off and do what most people think they can do. And just back to your point of skipping steps, I think they skip steps to try to get to the prosperity piece, not knowing that you attract that prosperity by growing into a better person. The person you are today isn't the person you need to be in order to have the things that you want. And that's why you don't have them. But the moment that you elevate to that place, then it shows up for you. You're totally right. And I think back to things and even in my own life and, you know, being a young man it, it, at one point, it's like, you want all this stuff. You, like you said, you want the fame, you want the accolades, you want the, the responsibilities and, um, you know, you can't get it without the foundation. And, and I think the reason, you know, I'm not, you know, the, the craziest successful person ever, but I think I could put, at least for my own definitions, be like, Hey, I made it somewhere um, so far. And, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the the investment into self that it took to to get here and the thinking and the self-reflection and, and the relationship building and yeah, taking a hard look at those things to to grow from and, and having really great people around me, like coaches and friends and and that type of stuff to to help see through that. So uh I think you're you're totally right, at least from my own experience, I can agree with you. And um I, I'm glad I asked that question too, because uh like these, we're talking about projects that are really complicated and there's a lot of people's lives at stake, not just the other investors, but like, you're talking about people are going to live in this property and like, just their home, you know, a lot of people, you know? So it's like, you can't, like, you have the responsibility to do a good job and to do it right. But you, like, you can't take on that responsibility unless you're ready as a, as a person to do it. And at least you shouldn't maybe is, is where I'm coming from with that. And, I'm glad you said that, man. That's very insightful. Sure, man. Uh, the people who live there, it's actually their home. And I'm glad you said that. They're residents. They're not tenants. And as a landlord, you have a responsibility to be in a great place so that you can actually serve those folks. And most people don't actually get that. They think it's all about their return on investment. Mm-hmm. It's so much bigger than your return on investment. You are improving people's lives. You are impacting their 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 very significant portion of their life, uh, and there's tons of stories with that. And uh, I'm glad you see it the same way because it's what's needed for us to move forward in the right way as as humans. I think is to care at that level and and to do a good job for the sake of doing a good job because people depend on you for it. So, um, right on, Jerome. Uh, super insightful conversation, and I think that if we had more conversations. Uh, we could uncover even more stuff. Um, so if uh, if you're open to it, I'd love to reach out again and, and, and chat with you even more, even on some of these topics, even more deeply. Um, but for now, uh, if someone's, you know, looking to reach out and connect with you, 
uh, either for coaching or for multifamily stuff, or just to say, hey, where can they reach you at? What's the best way to to get a hold of you and find you? Yeah, I I want to invite all your listeners to our upcoming conference in September. It's September seventeenth it starts at six p.m. Eastern, and it'll go till noon on September nineteenth. And Submit Atlantic Multifamily Investing Conference. It will cover everything in the end from our for our four step process. We're going to sprinkle in mindset, and we're really just going to get you ready to go so that you close the year out strong. And so listeners can go to myersmethods.com forward slash fall 21 and everything will be there. We've got a great lineup of speakers. I think it's like 25 or 30 and it's just going to be action packed. That's awesome. Um, we'll totally post a link for that uh, when we publish the podcast and uh, September is a, a time I might be able to make it too. So if I can, if I can make a, if I can make it work, I'll totally will. Um, sounds rad. And uh, we'll also post like your, your website link and, you know, whatnot on, on the posting as well. So definitely connect with Jerome. He's a super legit dude. Uh, and uh, I'm pumped to be connected with you as well. If you are listening to this and, and you are in the multifamily space or you're actively growing a, a good company and you want to share your story and uh, your, the ways that you've gotten there and then what you have in front of you, please reach out to us. You can uh, find out more about the podcast at geniusdm.com slash podcast. And uh, you can also just search for Grow Good Companies podcast and you'll find it as well. For now though, I appreciate you for listening. And uh, Jerome, I appreciate you for being a guest, man. Thank you. Chris, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. 